Good morning. We're starting on a deep note there, aren't we? Wow, my goodness. It's good to be together, Storyline. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, it's good to be, uh, to share this time together in this space together. And I want to just, I'm just overcome with uh, gratitude once again for this setup team, our dream team that comes in every morning that sets up and tears down and the folks from the solarium. So can we give them a hand, guys? They just, it's so cool to see every morning all the folks that, that serve and, and volunteer. So thank you so much for that. So since our move back indoor, in person, here at the Solarium, uh, to these gatherings here, we have been looking at the Beatitudes. And, and the Beatitudes are Jesus' opening lines. Here they are right here. Uh, his opening lines to his very first public address, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've kind of tried to frame it in a certain way, and we've been careful to say that the Beatitudes, these aren't a list of, like, to-do items that God is giving us. They're not a way, like, if you do these things, then I'll love you more, and things like that. They're more like an invitation into a way of life. In fact, one of the ways we described it is you can think of them like a map. The Beatitudes are a map for us to follow, that when we follow these Beatitudes, we kind of harmonize our lives with the life of God and with the mission that God is on. And so when we ask this question, like we all certainly do every single day, what are we going to do with today? I think one of the things that Jesus is holding out there for us is this idea that the Beatitudes might be a great place to start. Might be a great place to start the day to look at how, what are we going to do with today? How are we going to live? And by, do, by following this map, maybe we can respond to this God of grace who's already on our side because the Beatitude is a map towards how we get ourselves and our hearts on God's side. And so that's what we've been doing. Now, before we dive into what will be our fifth beatitude, I'd like to offer a little bit more background because uh, on the beatitudes in general, because I've been getting a lot of questions about them. And so I'm just going to uh, take a couple of items that some questions I, from questions I got this week. Um, each one of the beatitudes begins with the same word, begins with the word blessed, all right? If you're um, more formal, blessed. Sometimes people say, but it comes from the Greek word makarios, right? Now, this is a hard word to translate, as many Greek words are for us into English, because it doesn't mean like blessed as in having a lot of stuff or material well-being. A lot of times we use that word like in every, when that word comes up in conversation, like person's really blessed, it tends to be like material well-being, but that's not what makarios means. It doesn't really mean any kind of circumstantial or situational blessing. Like, for example, your favorite team going to the final four, okay? <laughs> now, I'll explain this later to my wife and daughter. They have no idea why that's up there, but that particular school is doing fairly well in a sport, okay? So makarios literally means happy. Like, that's the best word-for-word -word translation. But then, then again, you ask the question, how do we use the word happy? And, and happy comes from, we get the English word happy from happenstance. It means the things that happen, okay? So that's how we've come to use that word. But makarios doesn't really fit that either. It's because it's beyond situational. It's beyond circumstantial, material happiness. It's much more like a deep peace and abiding joy. That's what we're trying to get at. That's what translators are trying to get at by using the word blessed. 
Makarios is a blessedness, a happiness that transcends circumstances, okay? So, for example, Michigan fans may be upset if they lose to Georgia, but they can still have Makarios when that happens, all right? Uh, assuming that it's possible for Michigan fans to believe in God, and I'm not sure at all that that's the case. Sorry, sorry. Tom Austin made me say that. He's a Notre Dame guy. So, anyways, now here's what we've, here's what we've discovered so far in the first four Beatitudes, okay? I'm just going to try to sum up four weeks in five minutes, and any time that I do that, my, my friend Brian goes, why didn't you just say that? We wouldn't have to sat through this for four weeks, all right? The first four Beatitudes in, a, in one minute, okay? We've um, discovered in these first four Beatitudes how they lead us into a deep and abiding joy of seeing and celebrating that God is already on our side, of living with honest and authentic vulnerability. And it talks about mourning, of using our resources not for our own advancement, but for the good of others. That's what meekness is. And for pursuing goals in our life that will actually satisfy us. That's what we talked about last week, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we will be satisfied, okay? And now, last week, I suggested for the first time that the Beatitudes harmonize our lives with God in a way that puts us on his mission and inspires and empowers us to live a life of love and to love the life we live. And I think that's true. I think that's what Jesus is holding out to us when he lays out the Beatitudes. Now, this morning, when we turn to the fifth Beatitude, um, there's a little bit of a twist to this one, okay? Up until this point, I've, I've suggested that Jesus is more counterintuitive than he is countercultural. In fact, one of the things that storyline really kind of clings to is this idea that Jesus often used popular culture. He didn't always reject it. He used popular culture for, on his mission, okay? Um, that's not to say he wasn't countercultural counter sometimes. He certainly was. But this particular beatitude, I think, is going to be a challenge for us because um, it's, it is not just um, countercultural. It's also counterinstinctual. It's counterinstinctual. I think this particular beatitude actually is intuitive in a way. So I'm, I'll be curious to see what you think about that, but that's how I look at this beatitude. I think it is kind of intuitive, but it's countercultural and it's counterinstinctual. So I'll be, let's see what you think about that. This is what Jesus said with the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Okay, so I looked up mercy. This is how it's defined. It's defined as compassionate, or kindly forbearance shown toward an offender or an enemy. Okay? Pretty good. My friend John one time explained it to me like this. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Okay? So if you look at it that way, I like that. It was very helpful for me when John taught that to me. If you look at it that way, mercy then is like it's the beginning of grace. It's the first step of grace, okay? So as I've been preparing for this morning and thinking about mercy, it struck me more than once that uh, mercy 
is definitely caught somewhere in the supply chain issue in our, in our culture, right? Like it is in short supply. You go to the store to look for mercy and it's, you're not going to find it, right? It's hung up somewhere, let's be honest. Things are mean right now, right? It is mean. It is, things are just mean. People are on edge. People are short with one another. There's not a lot of patience. I see it as a teacher. I see it in my colleagues. I see it in students. Every, there's lots of things have gone wrong, backwards, upside down. We've missed a lot of things. Nothing's really going circumstantially the way we would want it to go. And, man, we could, I'm begging this for mercy, right? It would be so nice. So generally speaking, this is what I think I see when I look into our culture. It, we are great judges of other people's missteps and mistakes and shortcomings and great lawyers of our own, right? Like one writer put it this way. We judge others by their worst behavior and ourselves by our best intentions. Yeah. Stephen Covey nailed that, right? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you haven't read it, it's, it's a classic. It's one, of, it's one of his best lines in that book. But I, I recently discovered another quote that I think Covey is kind of echoing. And it comes from a sociologist named Norbert Elias. He escaped from Nazi Germany, and, and he was a Jewish sociologist. He escaped Nazi Germany in the 30s. And this is what he said. The established majority takes its we image from a minority of its best and shapes a they image of the despised outsiders from the minority of their worst. Gosh, I think we know that's true. I think we know that's true. In both ways, both Covey's quote and Elias's quote, that mentality, that approach to life, they both lead to the same dead end. And it's mercilessness. It's mercilessness. And it's killing us. Now, I'm often invited into a lot of really wonderful situations. A birth, an engagement. Um, and and it, the, it's just such an honor and a privilege to be invited into those rooms. But I'm also invited into some very difficult situations sometimes. Some very difficult conversations where two or more people, sometimes entire families, are in just intractable conflict. Like they just are stuck. They can't move forward. And if I could sum up one of the most common causes of what I see in those rooms, it would be a lack of mercy. Just a complete, like a lack of mercy on everybody's part. Because what I see is we, we judge ourselves very softly a lot of times in conflict, with, with incredible patience and understanding and grace. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt because we know our own backstory. We know all the details and the extenuating circumstances of why we said this or didn't do that or reacted this way and didn't react that way. But then when it comes to others, like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear any excuses. You know what you said, you know what you did, and I know what you meant by it. It's amazing how many people can read minds in, in situations like that. And I'm guilty of it as well. I do the same exact thing. But what Jesus is doing here in this fifth beatitude is he is inviting us into another way. Into another default setting that we bring with us into every scenario. A new set of assumptions about what could happen here. 
if I were to be merciful. We will be blessed. We will experience a joy that transcends circumstance when we embody and then extend mercy, when we make mercy a way of life. Now, there are many ways that this can look in your life and in my life. Obviously, mercy looks different in every situation, in every um, circumstance, right? But I think we all experience, and we all experience different obstacles and taking this step of mercy on this map towards harmonizing our life with God lives. And, and what I'm reflecting on here this morning, as always, are just some thoughts or ideas that I have, or some thoughts or ideas that I've cut and pasted together from reading way more than I should be, okay? So never is what we're doing together on a gathering meant to be like the end-all, be-all, this is what it means, which is why we're so, um, we, we try to encourage everyone so much to get into community groups and, and into discussion groups because we are not trying to uh, end the discussion on any topic we cover. We're trying to start a conversation, okay? Just trying to start a conversation. Like, let me throw this out here. Here's a few things I think. What do you think? That's how we work here. That's how we operate together as a community, okay? So with that said, I'm going to throw out a few observations about mercy and about living mercifully, hopefully to start a conversation. So the first one is this, to just remind ourselves all the time, daily, of just how merciful God has been and is being to us. Like, Jesus once taught his followers how to pray. In fact, it comes just the next chapter after this one that the Beatitudes are in. One of his followers said, teach us to pray. And, and this is what Jesus said. He, he taught them the Lord's Prayer. It's very common. We've heard it. We probably all said it. Um, our Father who art in heaven, he goes on, okay? Now, some people not only pray this prayer, but I know some folks who use this prayer as an outline for how to pray like as a guideline for how to pray in general. Let me give you an example. So, hallowed be thy name. All right, you start off by worshiping God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. After worship, you move into like, okay, God, what is your mission that you want me, what do you want me to do today? All right, uh, next step, give us this day our daily bread. Hey, I have some needs. I have some basic needs, God, that, that I can't take care of myself. I'm asking you for those now. And then this one, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors, all right? Jesus thought that was a good idea that we should pray that to God when we pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, this, this word debt is only used twice in the Bible, and it means, it doesn't mean you owe God like a $20 bill, okay? It means complete, total destitution, like bankrupt, like nothing to offer, no way to pay him back, no way to make it right. That's the kind of debt, that, that's what that word means. So when we remember and experience on a daily basis God's mercy for us, that God is on our side already, we show up every day and God's on our side. But that didn't happen magically. That doesn't happen because of a wave of some wand. That only happens 
It doesn't happen because we deserve it. It doesn't happen because we've earned it. It happens because Jesus paid a debt for us that we could never pay. He has cleared the way between us and God. We do not have to worry about the resentment of God, and we no longer have to move forward in life with regret. Okay? It's, it's clear. The, way, the path is straight. Now, that changes. When we realize that God's done that for us, I think it can change the way that we see those who are indebted to us. We see those who have done things to us that they now owe us. They owe us this, that, an apology. They owe us this. They owe us that, whatever. So, you know, people who, that require our mercy. We've seen it over and over again. It's not unusual for Jesus to um, offend the good kids, to get on the wrong side of, like, the religious crowd by who he chose to invite and include and befriend and, and, and to enjoy. And one time he was with um, a woman who was clearly not a person that the religious crowd thought should be around. She was actually sitting at his feet while he was talking to other people. And uh, Jesus knew that they were like, come on, Jesus, this person does not belong here. If, if you knew who she was, if you knew, if you're supposedly, you know, some big important dude, you'd kick her out. And Jesus was having none of it. This is what he said. This woman has been forgiven much, and she is showing much love. But the person who has shown little love shows how little forgiveness he has received. And this is how it plays out in my life. And sometimes I think this is how I see it playing out in the lives of other people as well. If we think we deserve or have somehow earned God's forgiveness, we'll make others earn ours. Man, I know that's true for me. Last week, I was at the after-gathering discussion at the Watermark, which is so fun. It's so great. And Ellen was leading our discussion, our conversation. And Derek said something along the lines of, you know, I try not to judge people because, you know, I'm not perfect. And we all chuckled because it's true for all of us just as much as it is him, but he had the guts to say it out loud, okay? And, and, um, but I know Derek. And I know he is much more than just non-judgmental. He's also very kind. He's very merciful. In fact, last week, just last week, I know he went out of his way to say something very encouraging, very kind to someone in the band who had tried something brand new in front of everyone for the first time. And I know that meant a lot to her. You see, the self-righteous shame and shun. The forgiven forgive. That's how it works. They accept, they include, and they invite others to come home. <laughs> Tiffany, so good. Thank you, thank you. What a beautiful song. There's a lot of lines in there that I really love. This one is really struck me. I took the long way looking for the shortcut. I've been there, right? It's called learning the hard way, right? This is one of the reasons I I love Jesus is because I think he is trying to give us the smart cut, <laughs> right? Like, how do we get the most out of life? And this is what he's trying to do. This is what he's inviting us into with the Beatitudes. It's not religion. It's not some test that we have to pass. It is, are, you open, are we open to considering a different way of framing life and entering into it every day? So... Uh, I also love this lyric from this song. Whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. 
Because, darling, we're all a little splintered and battered. But the light is on. What are you waiting for? Come on back. Come on back to the front porch. That's mercy. Mercy. So one inspiration for being merciful is to consider and remember how merciful God has been to us. That we require mercy every day and to be a part of passing it on to others. Another consideration that, I, that is helpful for me to at least want to try to be merciful, especially in those moments where it's super hard to do so, is if we aren't merciful, I, I think we could be in danger of not being able to enjoy mercy. Well, Jesus explained it this way. Listen to this. You can't get forgiveness for God, from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your, your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Okay, now this is a big deal to Jesus. He talked about this all the time. He told stories about these groups of people that he called the unmerciful. And so the question is, why is he so hard on people like that? Because he was. These are the people that he went after in, in parables, but he also went after the unmerciful people in real life. So why is that, okay? And I think it's because if, if we aren't merciful, if we don't do our part, okay, it's difficult to imagine, and here's just one way to think of it. It's difficult to imagine how heaven will be heavenly for us, okay? Let me unpack that a little bit. If we're not going to do our part, if we've received God's mercy, but then we don't pass it on, it's difficult to imagine how heaven might be experienced by us as heavenly, okay? Because, and, and maybe this is a news flash for people, so I'm just going to, this could be breaking news. Heaven is filled like 100%, every single person there, forgiven sinners, right? Every single person requires God's mercy. Everyone, including you, including me. So one way that I try to assess, like, am I the kind of person that's, be, that's, am I becoming the kind of person that will find heaven heavenly? Am I becoming that kind of person? So here's a little self-test I run on myself. It, it goes like this. How merciful am I? How forgiving am I? Like when so-and-so walks in the room, does he ruin it for me? <laughs> because if that's true... Well, what if so-and-so's there, right? And, you know, maybe if I had my way, he wouldn't be. But, you know, God, you know how he is. So you just never know, right? You just never know. Look, the Bible is clear that Jesus was a friend of sinners. We should all be very grateful for that, right? Because uh, we all are. Now, the question is, am I a friend of sinners? Or do I just hang out with people and befriend people and enjoy people who think and believe just like me? Who I think, you know, you know I'm going to grant you the position and place in my life to teach me something or show me something. Is that what I do? I was talking with a friend of mine this week, and he was saying that he told his young adult son this, the best people are those who truly believe they have something to learn from everyone. 
I loved that. I thought, wow, that is really great advice and so true and so hard to do, right? But among other character traits like humility and curiosity, that, that is cultivating a merciful posture towards everyone. Like I'm going to forbear that you're a Notre Dame fan and I'm not. Maybe you still have something to show me or teach me. Or maybe you think this way or that way about this or that. That doesn't mean that you're only stupid, right? It's a really cool way to enter into um, relationships and interactions with people. Now, all of this is totally countercultural. Like, we are in this moment right now that this, this grand, like, purification moment. Like, every place I turn, every channel I turn on, every, every, everybody who's wagging their jaw on television is telling me who I should like and who I shouldn't, right? Who's telling me who's got it right and who doesn't. Our culture, our media, our politics, tragically, even sometimes especially religion, is trying to pit us against one another. Liberal and conservative, Democrat and Republican, and my goodness, people are throwing judgment around like it's confetti on the New Year's Eve. It's just sickening to me. We live in a condemn and cancel, shame and exclude, purify and divide culture. We do, and we all know it, and I take part in it sometimes. I feel terrible. If you could hear behind the scenes some of the things I say about St. Joe Bears, okay? <laughs> it's not pretty. Some of you know, right? You've heard me. I'll say it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope no one recorded that. That's going on Insta-Twit, and I'm finished, right? But it's everywhere all the time, political campaigns, the nightly news, demonstrations, school board meetings. For the life of me, I can't imagine where all this has come from. Okay, maybe I have one idea. Let me just give you a couple of examples. I've, I've shared with you before uh, uh, how much I love to read church signs. Check out this one. I love this one, right? Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> oh, now you see why I take pictures, right? I love that so much. Okay, but sometimes they aren't just funny, like, in an, because they're ironically true. Sometimes they're tragic because the place that's founded on, that's built upon the mercy of God, puts, like, betrays its own mission with pride for the whole world to see. Look at this one. It's just, I can't believe it. If you don't love God, go to hell. <laughs> People are showing up for this. It's a real church sign, right? Now, you got to appreciate this next one because at least they go into detail about who isn't loving God. Bring that one up, Kevin. Look at this. Surfers, skateboarders, musicians, blah, 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 are all going to burn in hell. Repent now. Look at that sign. Look at, the, look at the list. What is going on there? I mean, vegetarians, I get it. So smug, right? It's the food police. I can't wait till Jesus comes back and he's like, Tarbies, everybody, let's go. Vegetarians, I get, but surfers, really? Come on. I know some surfers are not that bad, right? Now, look, I, I have to admit something before I tell this next story. So I'm just going to tell you up front because everyone in here, I, I can't get away with not coming off this way. So I'm just going to admit it up front. 
All right? I, uh, I struggle with pride. Like my friends will tell you, oh, Mike, Mike has a self-esteem problem. It's way too high, okay? <laughs> I know this about myself. I'm working on it. Believe me, my wife is working on it, right? <laughs> so uh, the other day, um, someone told me, informed me, you know, storyline's not for them. It just, you know, that happens. Storyline's not for them. They, you know, they like what we're doing, but they, they just can't come because of who else is there. Yeah, they were talking about you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put anyone's picture up. But I just want you to assume it was you they were talking about, okay? I, look, if we ask enough people, it'd probably be you at some point, right? And then, and then they said this: we give people way too many chances. We give people way too many chances. Now look, they said that, and I was like, I have never been so grateful and so happy to be a part of this community than when they said that, and yes, proud. And I hope in a good way, but just in case, I admitted it ahead of time, okay? Look, I make mistakes, we make mistakes, um, but if we're gonna mess up, if we're gonna miss it, we are going to do it on the side of mercy. We're gonna do it on the side of mercy. One of my mentors, a man who helped form my faith, is an author, I, got, I met him a couple times, his name is Brendan Manning, and he said this, you can't outgrace God. You cannot outgrace God. We cannot do it. Like there is, I can imagine God telling me a lot of things, telling Storyline a lot of things, but I cannot imagine him saying something like, hey, Storyline, you're way too forgiving. Like you're way too compassionate and merciful. Tone it down for goodness sakes. I just cannot imagine God saying that to us. I just can't. Look, different churches are known for different things. And, and we have visitors that come through here quite, quite a lot. It's really cool. I love to meet new people. Maybe you're one today, and thanks for coming this one time. But um, <laughs> I, meet, I meet new folks, and they'll, and they'll say to me, oh, this was <coughs> interesting. When I get the interesting air quotes, I know we're not seeing them again, right? <laughs> Anyways... They, they go, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z in a church. And look, I promise you, I actually get so excited to help them find a church that's going to be a good fit for them and, and their family. Because we are so blessed, and I mean this sincerely, we are so blessed to have so many amazing churches in our area. So many amazing churches in our area with wonderful people doing amazing, wonderful things and known, known for different things. So when people come to me and say, well, we're looking for this, we're looking for that, I usually can help steer them in a direction that I'm pretty confident they're going to find a good fit there. But I would love for Storyline to be known for mercy. Mercy. That's what I would love for us to be famous for. A community willing to risk loving too much more than judging too harshly. Oh, man. I think we are. But I would love to lean into that even more. See, the culture is demanding that we shouldn't be this way. The culture is saying you should not be this way. This is the age of the purity parade in politics, of the echo chamber in academia, and the holy huddle in religion. Everybody's like breaking up into their little groups where everybody looks and thinks and, and says all the same things. Heaven forbid somebody say something that might challenge me or I might disagree with. It's, it's not good. 
And if you make a mistake or you misspeak, you have the wrong opinion, you don't do this, you vote for her instead of him, you don't believe in that, you can bet someone is judging you. We are swimming in cancellation, in judgment, in shame-based belonging, in self-righteousness. But God is inviting us into another way. Look what he says. What does the Lord require of you? To love mercy. To love mercy and to walk humbly with him. One of Jesus' first followers was a man named Paul, and he insisted that we cannot look at people through a worldly point of view. So we just can't do it. We cannot look at one another the way the world is telling us to look at one another. We, we can't put people in this bin or that bin. We cannot let CNN or Fox tell us how to think about groups of people. We cannot do it. Or how to judge people. Jesus is inviting us to see one another in a new way, the way he does. The question becomes, how do we do that? How do we look past what other people see and see one another as God does? That's the question before us if we're going to live mercifully. And again, the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' first followers, explained it this way. This is how we do it. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Jesus in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus, not counting people's sins against them. That's the gospel highly offensive if if you're taking it the wrong way. Maybe this is how we become merciful, is by offering it. It's by looking past the problem to the solution. Maybe mercy is the beginning of grace. What if we make the path forward in our life by walking it over and over again? Maybe we become what we behold for ourselves, the mercy of God. And maybe we become what we bestow onto others, the mercy of God. Could this be yet another way that the best church for us is the church that isn't for us? This is the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of mercy, of embodying grace, of proclaiming the love, acceptance, forgiveness, and affection of God to everyone, everywhere, every day. Maybe we begin to get it only as we give it. Could this be what Jesus is inviting us into? And maybe this is why the church isn't supposed to be about us in the first place, or even really about who is here. It's supposed to be for those who aren't. So what if we stopped asking the question, what's it going to take to get my friend here, but instead wondered, who do I need to be? How do I need to live and love so that my friend asks me, where is this life of love and love for life coming from? Does our life beg that question? 
do people scratch their head when we walk out of the door wondering that about us? You see, I wonder if only the Makarios get that question. I think this is a the I think this beatitude is challenging us to wonder about that. Just a few more quick thoughts before we close. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. In the book of Colossians, Paul talks about what this looks like. He says, chosen by God for this new life of love, clothe yourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. His point is mercy doesn't come naturally. It's counter-instinctual. What, what, what comes to me instinctually when people are wrong and stupid and mean is bitterness. That's what comes to me by instinct. Resentment, judgment. And this is why the Bible says we're going to have to clothe ourselves. We have to clothe ourselves. Mercy is a decision. Mercy is a commitment. It's a way of life, not a way that we feel. It's a way of life, not a way that we feel. So to clothe is to commit. Commitments over time create capabilities. And capabilities over time can cultivate character. I think one of the developmental psychologists say, says it this way. We gravitate towards what we're good at. And if we get good at mercy, we gravitate towards it. And we practice it more and more until it becomes part of us. It's a beautiful thing. One time Jesus was scolded by the religious elite for inviting, including, and accepting some people that they considered unfit, impure, unworthy, and Jesus was having none of it. This is what he said. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? And as they're all like kind of set back on their heels a little bit, like what's he talking about? Jesus continued, go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Jesus did not come to make us sorry. He came to set us free, mercy. Mercy is the beginning of freedom. The Beatitudes are a map for how we discover and develop blessedness, makarios, a peace that's beyond understanding, a joy that is disconnected from circumstance. We clothe ourselves with mercy, we go after mercy, not religion. And if we aren't a people, a place where anyone can belong before they believe, no matter what they believe, if we're not a people in a place where anyone and everyone can find mercy, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Last thing. I saw some very surprising uh, survey results recently. The question was asked, who is it in your life that's the most difficult for you to forgive? Your boss, your spouse, your partner, your child. And you know what answer came in first? Three to one. Well, the most difficult person to forgive in my life is myself. And I know that's true for some of us here. And if that's you, I'm begging you for mercy. I'm begging you for mercy for yourself. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Show mercy now. Jesus told his followers, the heart of the law is mercy. 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 Listen to how God describes Jesus. I love this so much. Look at my servant, whom I have chosen. He is my beloved, who pleases me. He will not fight 
or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Look, we live in mean times, and mercy is the only way forward. Mercy is the only way forward. And, we're in, and Jesus is inviting us into that personally and as a community, and I just I pray that we'll step into this. Because the, the spirit of the age, it, it can break us. And God knows we need some mercy now because mercy can break us open. Mercy can break us open. Mercy is the seed of love planted in the ground of grace. And we simply cannot get where we're going without passing through and passing on mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place and for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for your mercy. Remind us of all the ways that you are showing us mercy on a daily basis. Help us to see the people in our lives that are showing us mercy on a daily basis. And remind us that the way of faith in you is not about what we're against or who we oppose, but mercy. Your word says mercy triumphs over judgment. May it be so in our hearts and in our lives together. As we leave this morning, help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. See you soon.